1: Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already, ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that's at The Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Jas, and I've got a very special guest with me this morning. My guest this morning is Ed Colin. Morning, Ed. How are you?
2: Very good, Jas. Thank you for the invite. And um, I'm really looking forward to just getting into some stuff with you.
1: Amazing, amazing. Ed, just before we get into the heart of it, um, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and kind of we'll, we'll go from there.
2: Yeah, so uh, Ed Collin, as you said, when I, um, I'm from Cork and I'm, I'm back home in Cork now in, uh, in Munster Technological University. Here, I am a senior lecturer across the sports science and coaching science um, modules. And I'm also a research lead in a, a team around skill acquisition. Um, that's the day job. I love it here. I'm a part of a really fantastic staff and, and a great research uh, unit. And outside of that, uh, I've been coaching for 30 years, um, probably at, at the kind of elite least level for a little over 20 years. And over the last five years, predominantly my work in coaching has been in professional golf, working with golfers around their practice environments. Um, when I'm not coaching, uh, with people, you know, whose livelihoods are at stake and the like, I'm I'm a dad to two boys, and I love coaching them in their respective sports. Um, and I also do quite a lot of coach coach education, coach mentoring, um, to try and, especially, um, at kind of national governing bodies and international governing bodies stuff. Maybe auditing, looking looking at some of their frameworks and the like to help uh, uh, ensure that it's maybe best practice and evidence based practice is what they're putting out there. Um, but also trying to um, engage with grassroots coaches, um, who oftentimes, unfortunately, don't have sufficient information to help them, um, just to help them w- with what they're doing as, as volunteer coach mums and dads, you know, that's it.
1: You say that's it, but there's actually a lot in there. Um, so... Let's, let's go right back to the top of it. First, we talked about being part of a, a research team around skill acquisition.
0: Maybe mm-hmm. just
1: talk about what that actually looks like in the day-to-day and maybe just give a brief insight for maybe those who aren't too familiar. And this might link into your last point there around uh, the grassroots coaches and maybe um, parents mm-hmm. who are looking to support their players and young children. Yeah, what exactly skill acquisition is?
2: So skill acquisition is a, is a term that has been around for, for decades really, um, but it's, it's come from the area of motor learning, uh, motor development, motor control, all these areas about how, how we learn things, how we learn um, anything really. Is it about movement? Is it about um, around the psychology of what we do? And so on and so forth. Um, and skill acquisition is essentially then the acquisition, how do we acquire skills? what is the best way to us, for us to for us to as coaches to help others to acquire skills or as athletes for them to acquire skills um so it looks at lots of different processes and mechanisms and strategies and identifies well in this environment or in this context this might be a, a more effective way of acquiring a skill the beauty i think for skill acquisition is that it's not an endpoint um once once you acquire a skill it's not it's not done It's not finished. It's that you're acquiring a skill that's adaptable, essentially. So, um, so that in broad broad terms is what skill acquisition is how how do we acquire skills Um, from a research perspective, really fortunate to be involved with some um, incredibly bright young <laughs> postgrads who who are um, significantly more ahead of the curve than I was when I was their age, let's put it that way, which is great because they, they lead the work, really. Um, I suppose I'm, I'm seen as the research lead, but they, they, it's their work and they, they drive it. And it across a whole host of different kind of topics, from coaching science and sports science to actual some uh, much more hardcore skill acquisition stuff about, well, if we practice in this way, if this is the type of practice we do, is it more or less effective? Does it translate and transfer? Um, does is it retained over time and all of these type of things? And I think that's that's some that's oftentimes you know that's where the the research happens, but that's also oftentimes where the best conversation happens with coaches, because coaches will often ask what works, Ed? And I was like, well, I don't I don't know because um, w- that's why we, we try so many things because lots of things, you know, we don't know. What we will say is, look, there's probably, and I'm only picking numbers out of my head, there might be 10 really effective ways of doing it, but there's probably 10,000 ineffective ways. So let's just make sure whatever you're doing, you're probably doing one of the 10 likely effective ways. What we do find is that, Unfortunately, because of either how coach education has gone or how cultural things have been retained in a traditional way within sports, they're they're not even doing some of the 10 effective ways, and they're doing old school, redundant ways of coaching their kids or their athletes, and that's where those conversations that come out of the research and go into the applied setting and for practitioners.
1: And I think you have made some great points. And I think one of the real key ones that jumped out at me there was looking at, let's try and be more proficient in the 10 effective ways rather than the 100 ineffective ways or however many there may be. And I think one, one of the key things, obviously, just to kind of really um, under, underlines that for me as well is, we're not saying there's one right way of doing it. We're saying there's many ways to potentially do it right. But there definitely is a way to maybe get it wrong, if you like. But even within that it's also understanding that at least this is what I've heard from it is that within there might be ten effective ways to do it, but there might be some that are more effective than others even within those ten um and some of those things might be a bit more old so, you know i I, I kind of liken that to the debate I often have with coaches and 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 athletes around unopposed versus opposed practice while personally I'm not a fan of unopposed practice i it doesn't make sense what. It makes sense as to why you do it, but it doesn't make sense when you look at the potential impacts for me anyway, in, in regards to, if you compare that to the opposed practice piece, because it was interesting, I was having a conversation just yesterday with someone saying that I don't think unopposed practice is necessarily wrong. I just, I just believe from my experiences, my observations, similarly to self as a coach educator and any experiences I've had as a coach as well, that Unless a coach is knowledgeable and articulate enough to be able to provide and appropriately provide context to the unopposed practice, then unless they can do that, for me, it's just redundant. Um, especially if you compare the effectiveness of that in terms of in comparison to the opposed practice, which even if the opposed practice hasn't been, uh, I guess, explicitly provided the, uh, the context to by the coach, if you like the context is still somewhat there for the players to pick up on themselves. Um, so I think that's that, that, that's a really important piece. Just to kind of build on that then, I don't know if you've got anything in response to that, but in addition, just to kind of tail it off, you mentioned about coach education as well before, and that's one of the things that you get involved in, especially in terms of supporting grassroots coach, coaches and parents. Do you feel like there's not enough focus um, and attention to skill acquisition at the earliest stage of coach education pathways across, I guess, all the governing bodies, really. I mean, there's a, there's a lot in there. Feel free to go wherever you want with it. Yeah.
2: OK. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot in there. And I think you've done very well, actually, in, in putting together what, what it is, let's say. Right. Very, very well, because... When we think, and I remember, now, and I, I just picked arbitrary numbers, 10 good ways. There could be 100 effective ways, you know, but I'm just saying I was using that as a way of saying we just know there's far more ineffective ways that still seem to survive in coaching. Let's say, OK, but the massive, massive word you used there was context. We have still uh, uh, it's, it's easily the biggest uh, challenge that coaches face. It's it's the work I do. When a when a player comes to me and says, "Ed, I um, I I'd like to work with you," and I'm say, "Okay, can you tell me what you've heard about what I do?" You know, like, well, I, I understand. I've spoken to other players who worked with it. Whatever, I hear you make the practice environment really like the competitive environment. I hear I hear there's huge, and sometimes they use context. I hear there's a huge amount of context, but you know what they'll use more often. There's a huge purpose in everything you do in practice, right? And these are professional athletes. So I'm like, right, so how are you currently practicing if if what I'm going to do is, is, you know? And that's the question back. And they're like, well, that's a fair point. I think when I began to kind of hear what you do and looked at what I do, I'm like, "Hmm, I don't know if my purpose is the same as what you're saying you do with this guy. I don't know, do I have the same rationale for doing what I do? in the way that you say that you do when you work with this guy. So I think that's a that's a big part of what we're trying to do even in our research, but also when we're trying to connect from our research out to, you know, the mums and dads out there who are helping the kids, but also always up to the professional coaches who don't have time to be able to go away and read the books and the chapters and the academic papers, which can be quite dense and so on and so forth, you know? With that in mind, a great question you've asked around skill acquisition in coach education. We have an appalling track record in coach education about where skill acquisition is introduced to the journey and introduced to the content. I mean, appalling. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen all the ways up to like level three, level four pro licenses where they'll have skill acquisition and it's half a page. Oh, and we've, we've covered skill acquisition. And you're like, wow I, I, I did an entire PhD in skill acquisition and I only took a tiny slice of it but that yeah. was a PhD and yet you've, you've given half a page to it
1: uh, well I'm, I mean it's very interesting you said it because I, I'm, I'm literally thinking that is it a case of well why why do you think that is No, obviously it's not a new concept like you mentioned um and I think a lot of practitioners, especially at the elite level and especially in academia as well, you know, it's widely spoken about, it's widely regarded as, you know, there is stuff there, the science doesn't lie, do you know what I mean? Um, And not to say that it's the only way to go about it, but I mean, for me personally, I'll be looking at it and saying, right, I think it should be introduced early on. It might not be a, a PhD level piece, if you like, but it just might just be an introduction to it just to maybe spark some curiosity within people. I think that's the that's the least that we should be looking for especially at the early stages, because you know, if we go if we go back a few moments and you talk about some of the the methods that are still being applied that have, I don't know how they've stood the test of time, but they have. Um largely a lot of that down is that is down to maybe a lack of understanding or awareness of things like skill acquisition, largely down to maybe a lack of experience. An exposure around different ways of working, and probably more around experience and exposure of the ways that maybe parents or, or players who have in the past been through themselves. Um, so it's just almost like that that age-old conversation: "Well, why did you do what you do?" Sport? because we've always done it. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? So it's like, and, and you can't blame them. I mean, if if nothing's ever piqued their curiosity, then then you know you don't know what you don't know, essentially, or you or you don't know what you don't know to the point where. You don't even know if you should know anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a, you know, if that even makes sense. Okay. I know <laughs> but,
2: it does. So I think that you, again, you've hit on some massive, massive terms and, and phrases there. The one that's jumped out at me is the curiosity, the spark, the curiosity. I love that because we currently in coach education, we make it seem like skill acquisition is this big bad place that it's really heavy duty and it's really hardcore and you've got to really have your your ducks in a row to get in on this it's not to spark the curiosity with somebody who's to say well actually so what age are the kids you work with this age okay so are you aware at this age they can maybe take in one piece of information maybe <laughs> so you telling them okay i want you to set up like this and do a b c d just okay so are we clear we're all a b c d and you're like Guys, they are they're working on small a here, and you've just gotten them big A, big A, B, big C, big D. So, and oh, and what age are they? Oh, they're older. Right. Well, then you can you can still maybe just do one, but they'll get a little bit sooner, a little bit better, and maybe introduce possibly a second point, but you know, not heavily. But that's again, if you started saying that to people, they're like, huh, well, that's interesting because. I'm currently doing this. I didn't, I wasn't aware of the psychology of retention of information for kids versus older kids versus adolescents versus adults. I said, okay, well, now that you're aware, will you change how you engage with them? That's, and, and he's like, well, of course I should. I said, well, great. And if it was that simple, we would be in a far better place, yes. But what happens is, oh, wow, that's really interesting. They get a workshop on it. The whole club get it, you know, 200 coaches. And they come away from, a, and again, we do it even in conferences. We go to conference, we've got pages of notes. Too much stuff to take away. No time for task consolidation. And we go back, within a few weeks, we're just going back to doing what we always did.
1: But I think, I think you know, you, you, you make a great point. I totally agree with you. Um, and I think largely from my own experiences and observations is, is because maybe that, obviously like yourself, you know, you're a researcher in this area, so you, you'll have a certain level of understanding and knowledge around it. But within the governing bodies in the coach education pathways in particular, maybe just an observation, maybe the coach educators aren't as knowledgeable in these different areas as maybe they probably should or could be.
2: I think, well, um, that may have been the case previously. And again, and I, 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 it is important to note here, especially in Ireland, we've We've seen a huge shift in the last 10 years of national governing bodies looking to re-energize their coach education frameworks. It's also helped by the fact that, and as you, and, and it's a key point, that a lot of these national governing bodies now in their education departments have people who've got um, not just the experience as a player or as a coach, but also now, the postgraduate experience with a master's and a PhD, and publications themselves, and linking in with universities like ourselves and others around the country, which is having a significant impact. So, possibly that was the reason in the in the past why it got to that place, but it's probably now um, the reason we're going to move out of where we once were because there does seem to be that shift towards a better educated and informed um, administrators. Let's say, and and I, and I'm. And that's where there's that lag. Right. What I see on the ground still is probably um, a little unfortunate because what's actually probably happening at administration level is is better, but it just takes time for things to filter down, as you can imagine. You know, so I know, let's say the IRFU in Ireland, right, the, uh, the rugby uh, national governing body, we're doing a PhD with them around a new coach education framework that is an incredibly um, positive step forward for how they're doing it. So you so, but how long will that take for it to get out to the masses? That's that's our job. But they are moving. We know the same has happened with the Gaelic Athletics Association here. We know there's some really good people in coach education, the FAI in Ireland, but again it's that trickle down effect. How long will will it take for it to get down to the the, to the masses and the grassroots let's say
1: yeah 100 percent I think one of the biggest challenges that people also face within any change, really, or any any anything that's linked to academia and and, and the, the science is brought into it, if you like, is um, the use of language. Yeah. Um, you know, if I if I go and throw the word skill acquisition to some of the learners that I've come across, they'll have no idea. They'll actually probably think I'm talking about the skill maneuvers, literally in the context of skill maneuvers. Yeah. And I can't blame them because, yeah. but but I think that's where a lot of people maybe get a little bit put off by things. So I think. One of the biggest challenges is actually just simplifying that and hopefully, you know, by the end of this conversation, we'll have a bit more of a simplified layman's terms around what exactly skill acquisition is and more specifically how people can go about not necessarily applying it in the context, but some of the considerations they can take into, into place. But that's in- an interesting
2: point. I'm sorry to cut across to that because it reminds me of something you said earlier around, well, why is it that coaches still do the things that they did? And you mentioned the term, sure, this is just the way we've always done it before. And one of the things that we're even seeing in our own research now that we're doing, we've, we've a couple of postgrads here who are actually looking at evaluating coach education from the, the attendees perspective. What did you hear in that session? what how will it impact your next session did it impact that session why and why not and so on and one of the things is coming from where where it comes from is there there's a fear of not being um not being able to I suppose and like anything there's almost a fear of I don't want to look uncomfortable out here Mm -hmm. so I would prefer to be in control of everything and set everything up in advance so when they come in it's almost like they go from one station to the next station to the next station and they just they they are the passengers but I'm driving the session that gives people a sense of control it yeah. also keeps fear and uncomfortability at the door and what we're trying to say is actually that is creating a sterile environment where learning it may take place but if it does it may happen over a much longer period of time but also from a representative learning design perspective, it doesn't reflect what happens in the game.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think just, you know, what I'm here and, I, and I, I want to kind of get this out, let's just see if anyone else can relate. Is that really what you're saying is the coach is deciding what to do. And by the coach deciding what to do, it doesn't necessarily guarantee there's going to be learning outcomes. And... That's the coach deciding what to do on the basis of how the coach feels rather than the feeling of the players involved or the athletes involved. And I think kind of just a spin-off on that, as you were speaking, I was was smiling and just thinking about some of the conversations I've had in the past with coaches. And one of the really important things I always ask coaches to really consider is what do you see as the role of the coach? Now, this is, you know, it's an ongoing debate. It's a discussion for everyone. There's no definitive answer, but I think I've, through research, through experience, through observation, and just curiosity coming back to that word, have come up with a definition of it for myself. That is, if you go back to the origins of the word coach, you know, um, I believe the, the word was first used in Hungary to describe the mode of transportation, which is actually obviously now known as a coach. Essentially, the Purpose of that was to take you from point A to point B. Um, why would you take a coach? Or maybe some of the journeys were maybe just simply too far for a human being to travel alone. So I've taken that context and applied it to my own definition in that the role of the coach is to take the athlete or the participant from point A to point B when they can't quite get there themselves. But point B has already been established, and point A is obviously being observed and assessed upon arrival if you like so we know where we're starting from we know we want to get to it's like having a tom-tom now the only the the caveat piece to that is there's three modes in which that can work it's either sometimes i might be the driver of that coach or that mode of transport in other times i might be the passenger and, and hand you the keys ed and go along that journey with you and in other times it might be that actually you're on the journey you're the one driving your car or motor transport might have broken down, so I now need to give you a push from behind to get you going again. So that's you know not a simple sentence, but that's the way I look at coaching. Um, and within that, you know, kind of just a follow-on point is, is which is why I'm really big on providing and supporting coaches and people with frameworks rather than models, um, because for me, model dictates that or implies that everything's going to be replicated. It needs to be like for like, almost like a cookie cutter approach, which is where then you go back to those old school ways of working and never changing. Whereas a framework is basically saying, right, Ed, here's your box, go wherever you want with inside it, but here's some key things that really work within if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that I can give you that message and I can give John and, and Tyrone that message as well. Messages don't change with the directions in which you are going within those parameters might be very different that might be based on your own individual skill sets that might be based on your own experiences and the people in front of you it could be so many different variables as to where where and why you go in different directions but that's the framework and i've gone on a bit of a tangent there but
2: oh no no i I've, it's very interesting and i think there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in there that we would be that we would see is a significant part of what coach education is becoming let's say you know that idea that our job because there is no one as you know there is no one role for a coach that's going to fit all the people that are in front of them and that's where then the consistency of message is so important so let's say if i'm working with grassroots with my my, my boys i never mention the score to them because that's not important to me it's important to them they're highly competitive. My two boys are highly competitive, but I don't need to be competitive for them. I don't need to be competitive even with them because the message needs to be, you're loved, you're supported, and you're cared for. That win, lose, or draw, it will not change my engagement and interaction with you. And for all the other boys in that team, uh, the love is probably different, but the support and care is the same that regardless so i work with an under 14s team they have never heard me mention the score or the importance of a game ever i they've stopped asking me where we are in the league table because they've known they know i've never looked at our position in the league table ever because that's not what's important for a 13 year old boy coach it's not and if it is then you have to seriously look at well what are you doing who are you serving here if i'm working for a professional team or a or an elite level team that context changes the approach required but i see all too often and hear all too often the adultification of a child's environment because they see it on the TV, which is great and that's their love and their passion, their hobby, they, they support whomever they do, but that infects their engagement with the kids. And it's not for the kids, the kids don't need, my, my boys do not need me to be competitive for them. They need me to be authentic to who I am, but not for them. And that's, that's, a, that's a thing I'm consistently seeing and hearing and working with people. because. It is their journey. And, and look, uh, another thing I hear a lot about is, and we see this quite a bit in, in Ireland, um, you know, because they play multiple sports. We've got a fantastic range of opportunities for kids to, to engage in sport in Ireland. We do. We, I think there is a great appreciation of what we actually have at our, at our disposal. But oftentimes you'll hear of people saying a player might move from rugby to soccer or from Gaelic football to basketball or in any whatever. Oh we've lost him to football or we've lost her to basketball. And you're like, I'm sorry, but you never had him or her in the first place because they're not yours to have. They're on their journey. And our job is to support and care for them when they are at this formative time of their lives, not for them to feel, oh God, this is going to be, this is such a pull on me because of the pressure I'm getting from someone else because they're telling me I'm great. and.'" That, as opposed to, hey, you know, we think you're great, but it's not because of what you do for us. It's because we just think you're a great person. Whatever your decision is, we are gonna follow you and, and look on with such pride that we even, were a part of your journey at some stage of it. Mm. I'm not seeing enough of that child-centered, ego-free <laughs> coaching yeah. happening.
1: I I think, again, just there's one really key thing that just jumps out at me there throughout everything you said. It's purpose, right? You, You mentioned that word there, purpose, and I think kind of just to build on that, it's not just purpose, but how many of us can truly say that we're actually trying to connect with the person in front of us before we go down the route of trying to impart any information, knowledge, or support to them? How can we support something we're not, we're not aware of yet? How much effort have you, are you taking to kind of do the, the pre-search before applying the research, if you like? Um,
2: and, and again, as you'll have heard from me, the work I do in the professional domain is about purpose. The work I do in the child domain is about purpose so my framework is the same framework but the context is what determines how I conduct myself in those domains Mm. and the purpose is key because as you said the pre-search I love that because it is so important Mm. that what's that old saying you know from if I want to know if if I'm coaching Mary in basketball I've got to know basketball and I've got to know Mary (laughs) there's Um, no if i just know basketball well i'm not going to connect sufficiently with mary to know well why is she doing it and where can i where can where's my capacity to connect with this athlete for 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 me to ensure that i it's it doesn't become them fulfilling my journey
1: yeah yeah (laughs) and i think there's there's a really key piece that jumps out for me in what you've just said there I've got to know basketball and I've got to know Mary. But actually, if you just know basketball and you don't know Mary, the basketball that you know might not be applicable for Mary.
2: Yeah. And if you gave me a choice of knowing Mary only or knowing basketball only, give me knowing Mary only over knowing basketball.
1: Yeah, 100% because it's through knowing Mary that you understand what it's going to take to get through to her.
2: And, and, and yes, I, I'll tell you, I'll, I have people who come back to me every so often, Ed, you're too extreme. Uh, you know, what, the way you go on, it's as almost as just throw the ball in and let them all figure it out. I've, I've never said that. But what is interesting when I hear people saying that back to me is they're coming into a conversation or listening to a podcast with me with their biases already ingrained. So whatever this guy says, I'm going to make it turn. I'm going to turn it around so that it definitely isn't something I'm going to go after. Because I've never said I coach. I heavily coach. I just don't do it through a, a through a, a manner that is forceful and directive and authoritarian.
1: I, I you know, I could totally relate to that. And it, it really just resonates with me because I feel like that's what I do as well. And I think one of the key things I try and do, especially when I'm having conversations with other coaches in particular, is similar to what you said, they come with their preconceived ideas of what it is that they're trying to, they're going to fight a case for, if you like. And I think what I've been able to do over over, over the years is develop um, a skillful way of just posing some questions and just, all right, I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm just going to give you something to think about. And you can then come back to me and tell me what your thoughts are when the time is right.
2: And I do that. I do that all the time. Yes, yeah. I will... I will meet with coaches, I will meet with clubs, I will meet with national governing bodies and so on and so on. And I will say to them, okay, so this is what you're currently doing. Well done, great effort. I know how challenging it is to even done, do what you're doing. So you get my respect out of the gate, straight out of the gate. Mm. However, in in section A here, uh, B, C, D, really strong. That up. But just, Can I just pull on something in section A here? The evidence has shown that this is not the most effective way in the context that you're doing it and so on. I'll go through a series of things. So now that's what the evidence says. Mm-hmm. You now, you now can't unhear what you've just heard. You can't unknowledge it. <laughs> you know, you now have the knowledge. If you choose to go forward against what best practice or the evidence suggests you should do, that's your call. But you can't say now that you weren't told and you don't know. Yeah. And over the years, I have gotten a little bit better at being calmer when they've still bucked against it and gone ahead. I'm like, okay, I've done what I can. Uh, I know for years I was like, this is incredible. I'm just after giving you a download of something that has taken me five, 10, 15 years to understand. And I've just handed it to you on a plate. So you don't have to do what I've done, but you're still going to resist even though I'll send you papers and webinars and podcasts and videos and books and chapters but you're still going to go yeah but but i, I think i still we should do this
1: i, I listen I, I can fully relate i've had i've had those moments where i've actually been speaking to people how do you not understand what i'm saying to you how do you not see the logic in what i'm presenting to you and wh- i think what, I, what i've been able to do over time is now uh, it, this links into players as well um i'm not very even with players i'm not very direct about what it is i want to see Rather I'm maybe direct about what it is I want to see in terms of an outcome, but I'm not really bothered too much about the approach or the process involved. Um, because a large part of my own coaching philosophy and even in coach education as well, is about trying to develop that context we spoke about earlier, develop the understanding of that context, but true understanding of the context and not just them being able to relay back to me anything I've said. So even in the example that you've given there where in the past I might have had a lot of resistance from certain coaches um and then i'm i'm left you know just banging my head against a brick wall thinking how the hell have you not understood what i'm talking about um simple but effective question i've just learned to ask can you explain to me what you've understood from what i've just said and what are your thoughts on that mm. um and then i i found for myself when i asked the question in that way um rather than assuming they've understood uh, or assuming it just makes sense to them um it becomes a lot more productive. So that conversation then evolves into one where, uh, actually, they don't quite understand how I've explained it. So maybe that's where the breakdown is. Maybe I can stop banging my head against a brick wall because they don't actually understand how I've explained it. And it comes back to your, your analogy about Mary. Now that I understand how Ed is, I can now talk skill acquisition with him yeah. in a way that he understands it. And the other, th- other key thing that's really worked for me over time, again, with coaches and players, is... In asking that question, I get to hear back how they've perceived the words that I've used, and then within that, I'm again doing my research and you know in, in line with some of the pre research to understand, ah, okay, how they interpreted these words. Have they still used the words that I used, or have they replaced them for something which makes more sense to them? Now, if they've changed the words, then it's 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 my responsibility now to identify right the words that they've replaced my definition or my, 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 my speech with, if you like, how would they define those words so that we can make sure that we're in alignment and we are singing from the same hymn sheet even though we're speaking different languages.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And that, that, that piece has become really, really integral for the way I work and, and it's, been, it's been phenomenal in terms of impact because ultimately my role is, like I said, take you from point A to B but more importantly, it's, it's in a way that works for you in the direction mm-hmm. you want to go. So if you want to go down the, you know, the M1, let's go down the M1. But sometimes the M1 might not even take you there. So if it doesn't take mm-hmm. you there, my job is to redirect you. But if M1 is a route, even if it's a longer route, let's go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, you might decide actually this M1 is taking too long. Let's find another way. That's fine as well. Um, and and I think that's the beauty of the process is that we've identified an outcome, we've identified an endpoint. But I'm giving you the scope and the and the and the time to allow you to explore which way might be the most effective for you, but also highlighting some key considerations and variables I think you should make along that process. Um, And then, just to kind of finish off on that point, it's when they're now explaining it back to me. It's not always important for them to, to articulate it verbally. So understanding, again, I know Ed. I've taken time to get to know Ed. Ed might not be the greatest in terms of articulating himself verbally, and that's absolutely fine. So, Ed, why don't you show me what you think I'm looking for? And, and having that, that piece around it. So it's almost one of the key things I like to use within my coaching is, can you show or tell me? And if you want to show me, don't worry about telling me. But if you want to tell me, at some point, I'm still going to need you to show. Um... Because having an understanding of it is great, but being able to apply it is something different.
2: Yeah. And there's a huge amount in there. And I really like, I really like that, I have to say. And because, as even you said, I know you were using the example, but Ed, Ed not, is not great at articulating that. I've, I've, I've had that as criticism and feedback. And that's something I need to work on because I get frustrated and the frustration then comes out in a little bit different way and an unhelpful way that if I was came out of myself and looked, and was like, come on, man, Ed, you got to do better here. You want to bring them along with you, not you know, create a division. So I think that's a big part of it. What I like about the A to B is to even build on that analogy. If we, if we have a starting point at A where we're saying, this is where we are, and I'd like them to get to B, great. But let's, let's use it in the, in this, in the phrase of, we're, you know, writing a Word document. We have all these typefaces that we can choose from, Calibri and Arial and, and Times New Roman, and all the different font sizes we can use, you know, 12, 20, 120. That what I'd like to see is if I'm going from A to B, I'd like you to get to B, but I, I i'm not telling you what your b needs to look like it might be helvetica it might be it might be bold underlined and, and italicized if that's what your b is great
1: i, I think you know you, you make a great point then again as you're speaking through the analogy just hit me in, in, in another kind of way of looking at it was it might be this font, but actually i'm not going to use a size 52 font on my cv but you might use a size 52 font if i'm trying to give directions it might just be a big a go to a or whatever yeah. that might be. So it's, I think it's a great way to look at it. But more importantly, I think just picking up on what you said there is I don't think it's ever the coach's job to identify the B.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: and that, that, that's the one really key thing I want people to really take from this is that it's for the participants yeah. to decide what B is. Yeah. Because only through their decision of identifying what B is are you going to get their buying commitment. Now, Because as soon as
2: we even say a B, we're, ass- we're assuming there's an end point.
1: No, we're not. We, well, we have no idea where it is. We're assuming that that person knows what their B even is. Yeah. Yeah. Is. And I think part of the coach is to, is to not identify the B or decide on what the B is, but support them in exposing the options of what B could become. Yeah,
2: exactly. And I think, look, another question that you, you spoke about some of the questions you've come up with to engage with people better. And I like really good questions, but one that I've that has kind of emerged in my discussions is when they've been saying and i've been saying well this is what the evidence and this i've come i said well can i can i just stop for a moment and just ask you where's the evidence for what you do and invariably like i mean it's almost like 99 times out of 100 there is no evidence it's just well this is the way I've always coached or this is the way I was coached. And we were successful when we did it this way. And this is why we do. And it's all it's anecdotal yeah. with with like snippets from tradition and culture. And you're like, wow, but everyone. So that happened for you 10 years ago when it worked really well. What's happened in the last 10 years? Ah, oh, well, there's been a lot. And then they'll have come up with loads of reasons why it hasn't worked. And you're thinking, you've just picked on something. You know, I have two bananas before a game and that's why I play well. So I have to have two bananas before every game. So do you play really well in every game? I <laughs> oh, well, no, because some days you're like, well, hang on. So it's not the two bananas that you have before the game. Can we come away from the superstition and the, you know?
1: I I, th- I think you, you're spot on and it kind of brings us full circle really to the top of the conversation. We talked about those, uh, you know, example of 10 effective ways of working and I think it's again just really really important to reiterate and highlight on the point that it's not that there isn't ways which have been going on for you know before I was around and maybe before you was around that aren't effective that's not what we're saying and it's certainly not what I'm saying but what I believe we're both in agreement with is that are these ways the most effective ways Mm. so if it is effective, is it only effective four out of 10? I'm sure if it's effective four out of 10, there's gonna be something that's out there that's five or six or seven or eight out of 10, but have you considered it yet? And if your four out of 10 is giving you some success, you might actually be at a disadvantage.
2: Might- yes, when I, when I first met Rick Shuttleworth, okay, all those years ago, I was in my little head then thinking, oh yeah, I'm, I'm getting a handle of this and I, I know where I'm at and so on and so forth. And then I meet this guy. And it was, what? This is how old? He was coming with evidence and with examples from coaching in other sports from all over the world from the 60s. And you're like, oh my, here I thought I was at cutting edge. He he basically was like, Ed, relax. You're 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 not where you think you are. In fact, you're you've gone, you're almost going down a rabbit hole. You need to come back out and be prepared to go down. Every rabbit hole, let's say, and realize there's been a huge amount of work done before you've experienced what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And let's not try and reinvent the wheel because there's got, there's been men and women who've been who've been doing this but have been suppressed because of, you know, as we all see, one coach does something that's very successful. Everyone copies that, and you're thinking, well, hang on. The context has just been removed from the situation again. The purpose has been removed from the situation. So, as you said, these are things that have been here for decades, decades. Yeah. And, and that's what sometimes can be frustrating. We say, I had, you know, all this new stuff you're asking us about. I'm like, it's it's not new yeah. and it's not mine. <laughs> I'm just here sharing what others have done before us that have been shown to be effective.
1: And I think the other danger that people can fall into with that as well is that if you're not um, constantly ch- checking, challenging and probing your existing practices, you can fall in the habit of just saying, right, this is how it is, just get very tunnel visioned of it. But actually, it also then, I guess, links into another aspect of uh, coaching that we often see. And it, hopefully we can work towards by sharing information like this uh, a world where it doesn't exist anymore. And that's this play is not good enough. They don't get it actually actually let's take a step back goes back to mary and basketball do you know enough about mary to be able to get her to understand about basketball yes and it it just goes full circle and it's like it's so refreshing to have this conversation with yourself because the amount of time i spend trying to break down the barriers of people understanding what exactly it is that we're discussing here right now it's almost it I'll give you an example. I had a conversation yesterday about someone, someone about this, and it, it, we were talking about the, again unopposed versus opposed practice. And um, I'm currently uh, supporting a, a group of coaches in, in essentially reevaluating, redefining what their coaching philosophy will be for the environment they're currently working in. And one of the ideas I shared is that, personally speaking, I don't have a playing philosophy in the way that I the way that I work because I don't believe that we need one. Um, I believe that. There's only one thing that's been constant and obviously my sport is football. Um, there's only one thing that's been constant from the time I can remember or I've, I've seen in, in history till now and I believe it will never change. and that's the principles of the game. Now yes, we're going to have different trends and you know the trends will go around in circles, different systems, strategies, uh, you know uh, people that want to you know individual bits, collective bits or whatever it might be. But that's the one thing that does not change. The game is very simple in that respect. You're trying to score in my goal. I'm trying to score in yours whilst we're both trying to stop one another from doing it. That's it. Now, if we, ref- if we keep the focus on that, the game is very simple. Now, as with any other game, like, you know, we could be playing a, a game of team tag or capture the flag or whatever, you know, you've got your base, I've got my base, we need to get to your base, I need to get to mine, same principles, I can't go through the middle of you, if there's five of you standing there, it's not going to work, I'm going to get caught, so what do we do, we spread out and we give you a decision to make, how far are you going to spread before you allow us to get through, same principles, so the key message always said to coach, just focus on that. Forget about whether they're passing it, yeah? forget about whether they're dribbling it, yeah? forget about whether they shoot from 5, 10, 25, 30, 30 yards out. Are they getting closer to what is their point B, which is to try and score the goal or to try and stop it? Simple as that. Now, in doing that, I don't believe in using unopposed practice because it won't give you the context that is required unless you are articulate and knowledgeable enough in order to enable to break the context down in a way that mary ben ed john whoever it is understands it in an unopposed manner however if you're going to go down the unopposed route you need to have context if you don't quite have that level of knowledge or, or that ability to articulate it in that way then you can rely on the opposed practice doing it for you to an extent. You still need to, you still might need to uh, you know spark their curiosity and raise their attention to certain variables. Mm-hmm. However, even without you, they may still pick up on these things. But then that's where the art of the coach comes in, and the skill of the coach comes in to be able to carefully and skillfully pick up on what the athlete or the participants actually understood and taken into account in the context of that session. Again, bit of a ramble.
2: No, no, that's huge. And there's a there's a few points that I, I'd love to pick up on there. Just, I'll start with the, the last one. We have a new course that started here in September, the, the Coaching Science and Sport Pedagogy, okay? First year of the Bachelor of Science and whatever. So we had our first cohort coming in last September. And we were very excited about this course that we've written and stuff. And one of the modules I fought for was to have a module called the Science and Art of Coaching. Okay, so I wrote the module, whatever. So it was first running up it just the semester past. And do you know what it became? Because again, if you're gonna have a title like that, it has to then be fluid. You can't be set in your way, you know what I mean? So it was a very fluid module and so on. It became, basically I could have rebranded it Coaching Philosophy, or The Purpose of Coaching, or Contextual Coaching, all these things, because they They drove the module, I set out, well, this is what we hope to cover, and here's what, it, and I gave them a, a choice about how we'll assess it and all this. It was remarkable to see how, even within a module like that, it became artful and skillful and scientific, because it is that that, that uh, emerging and emerging um, yeah, it, it became something that nobody really owned, and yet everyone felt a part of because that's what coaching should be about with that and you you were talking about the kids and I, it's a fascinating thing it's something that i've began to try to work with grassroots coaches in in recent years we we all see kids have certain tendencies okay where they get them from we don't know certain kids will hang around near their own goal certain kids will hang around maybe in the middle of the pitch and certain kids will hang around and if they just self organize themselves they'll they will be drawn towards a certain position. So for example, I'll give you a perfect example of my my nine-year-old, right? I will, and and, and if I could put it into two, two categories, is the boy or girl that you're working with, are they the kind of person who wants to score more? or Are they the person who wants to stop from scoring more, right? where do where where, where did they without without getting into any deep philosophical thing with them but just guys can i just ask you to rate which is more important scoring uh, more goals to you or stopping them from scoring straight away you're going to identify huh they have a tendency to be the defending type people as opposed to the attacking type people now that doesn't mean then we put them in those positions because that's where they are no that gives you a purpose then to broaden the horizon and to say okay well my, my, my young fellow will ask me sometimes in the game, Dad, can I go up front? Of course you can. Up front you go, knowing within a minute he'll be back in the back line. Because he's just drawn to, it seems to be more important for him to stop them scoring than him to actually score. And does he love scoring? Of course he does. But he will find himself going back. As opposed to another boy say, can I go up front? Yeah. And they will never come back into their own half. And that's fine too. Now, that's where, as a coach, I'm thinking for his development at nine or eight or 10, I've got to try and encourage this kid to come back in. And I'm going to work on a couple of constraints or rules so that that this kid
0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Ease the pitch from a different perspective to the one that they just want to see. That's
2: my role as a coach. How they'll engage with that, I, I don't know. And that's where then working with coaches, the work that, let's say, Rick Shuttleworth has guided me through that cut bleeding bandage. You know, I'm, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to help engage with. And when by me working with you, I'm actually working on myself, too. This is a two way thing. But for us to for there to be some mentoring going on, there's going to be a little cut. It's going to hurt a little bit because I'm, I'm, we're going to identify things that you don't do well. And that's going to, you're going to bleed out a little bit when you, when that's happening, you're like, oh, God, I'm being exposed here. But the bandaging is where the learning happens and the realization, actually, this isn't as big a, a hurdle to overcome than I thought. Yeah. And I think that's where that's where that important thing. And then to go back to your one of your early points to finish to finish what I just to pick up on what you were saying about the how people engage themselves and and getting to know mary and all this type of stuff right and it could be anybody mary or muhammad or mandy or mark it doesn't matter right but the i've been asked over the, the, the recent years Ed, is there any podcast that you think really resonates with you about this idea of getting to know the person and allowing the person that, to really find their journey and there's been two either there's a bunch but Johnny Wilkinson, when he was a guest on the High Performance Podcast with Jay Comfries and Damien Hughes, has to be one of the most outstanding podcast conversations I've I've ever come across, right? And even the the guys, the the hosts were themselves saying, whoa, Johnny, this is heavy. This is heavy, man. (laughs) But it would be remarkable if people could connect with what you're talking about. Then from there, Johnny himself has now created his own podcast, I Am, and it is a remarkable contribution to the podcast domain, right? But the other podcast that I I guide people towards is a chat between Jonah Oliver and Jay Carter on talking performance, right? For how you can hear a sports psych talk about how people can get so caught up and carried away if they don't have the strategies to help them calm things down, let's say, right? Two really impactful podcasts that, that speak to a lot of what we're doing because it, co- it keeps coming back to what's the context? Are you actually allowing the context to run away from you as a coach? You went into a tournament. They had three round robin matches, and then they go into semi final. Are you a different coach in the final as you were in the first round robin match? Think- Hopefully, if it's with kids, you are not any different. They may be different, but allow them be them. But as the coach, you need to be this stable, not screaming, roaring person in the final that they didn't see four matches earlier in the first round, let's say.
1: Yeah, I think there's two key things that really jump out at me there. And it's, first of all, it's the, it's the analogy of um, the cat, right? The cat, will, the cat will come to you when it wants to come to you. Um, mm-hmm. And I often, I often think about it. So I've got, I've got a daughter, and I often think about it when I, when I, when I, when I think about the cat, I think about her in the sense that she'll go off and do her own thing. She'll have her own little life. But occasionally, she want to come back and she wants to, you know, <laughs> yeah. hugs and kisses with daddy. Um, and then she'll just go off and do her own thing again. And then something will happen, and she'll come back and go hugs and kisses with daddy. Um, and it, it's, it's literally that, you know, and it's literally understanding that. A, 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 come on to that because you mentioned about the letting the context run away from you um now why i mention that is because if you know the context only then can it run away from you uh, a lot of coaches they don't maybe don't understand the context of what they're actually you know standing in if you like um so therefore they never really can even understand and begin to imagine that something is running away from them so i think it's really important for them to kind of really take heed of that and i think what what what's really important also within that is that you talk about being consistent i think being consistent is one thing but more importantly being consistent with the expectations that have been set is another so if you it might be that you change your approach in a cup final to maybe the midweek league game that doesn't really contribute to anything in the wider in, in the wider context of the of the season however it's really important that you do establish and declare the expectations and the understanding of that context so that when the players do come into that environment, they're aware already, have some awareness, even if not absolute awareness, of there may be a change here.
2: Well, I think that the important thing here is, though, if you're if you're talking about kids, I, I would refute that. If you're talking about young adults and yeah. late adolescents and stuff and adults. Then I have no problem with that. Yeah. But then I think we could still even see, even in the pro game, a Pep or a Tuchel or a, or a Klopp. I, I I'm not too sure if if Klopp is in the dressing room before the FA Cup final or Champions League final, doing something completely different than what he would yeah. be doing if he was playing against Watford. Because I think the players would be like, "Whoa, what's? Why is this such a big deal? It's just a game."
1: I, I think by that point, uh, and, I, and I totally agree with you. I think, but I think by that point, there is a different level of um, expected commitment and understanding from the athletes involved around what the context actually is um it's now it is now their livelihood rather than it's of course. A, 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 you know a hobby or, or an additional thing that they're doing in their lives
2: and yet there's still that consistency from the coaches. I think we, we, we've seen some from from retrospective recall in interviews with athletes over the years where they will what why why were you so nervous before the final and it was like well because of everything that was happening around me it wasn't normalized really? and that's a key thing our yeah. job and then with kids that's important for those kids to re- to realize that my, my dad are not the other boys dads who are our coaches you know because the, the, the funny thing is these kids see us as their coaches they have no idea that for the vast majority of these dads and mums, hopefully they're not coaches at all. Mm. They have very little coaching experience or coach education, if, if any. And yet that, that, that authority almost is there just because they've got coach written on the back of their, their, their top and a whistle around their neck.
1: You, you're spot on. And it, it comes back to the whole um, concept, of, you know, the, the, the levels of leadership. Some mm. assume the, the role of a leader, in, in this case, being a coach or you know, a manager, and they just expect that people will follow um but actually as, as you, you know and I, i'm referring to the, the work done by um i forgot his name now five levels of leadership what was his name do you know oh i'm talking about right yeah i do uh, <laughs> that's just kind of me too i can't remember his name but can't um him. um i've got i've got his book somewhere here as well i, can't, I,
2: can't. I actually do too it's actually um, uh, hang on is it even here i'll get to it I know who you're talking about anyway. <laughs> Put it in the show notes.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, largely, the work is, is really basically coming back to full surface what we said saying earlier. It's about the purpose. Yeah. What is it that we're trying to do? Well, we're trying to connect with people. Yeah. And through connecting with people is how we build um, credibility and impact. Yes. And that in, that ongoing level of impact then increases the credibility, which means we have to then spend less time doing the convincing because we've already got the buy-in. Yes. Uh, and, and not because we've done something for us or for the organization yeah. more importantly we've already impacted on them and you know and this is why i say to coaches early on you need to make sure that you have rationale for everything that you're doing because if you come across someone like me i am not going to do anything for you unless it makes sense john maxwell john maxwell that's the- <laughs> <laughs> i'm not you I know mean, me as an individual Unless you show me the evidence yes. or give me some understanding as to why we're doing this, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, And, 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 and there's probably going to be loads of people like that. There's probably going to be other people who maybe look at it from a different perspective and say, right, well, you're the coach, so I'm just going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, I'm the coach, listen to me, but don't be afraid to check and challenge me either. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where coaches need to become more comfortable and being vulnerable enough to actually take on that question, take on that critique and take on that challenge. And I know for me, I actually thrive off the idea mm. of having players, participants, parents, coaches check, check, and challenge me because it keeps me on my toes and makes me constantly being in, 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 present in the moment of what am I actually doing and why am I doing it? I, 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 w-
2: I will, I will say this, and um, uh, there's a caveat to that for me because I'm in the same place where you are now. I really enjoy that and I engage he- really um, heavily in it because i always know even if i'm asked will i will you come in and help someone i know i'm going to learn from that experience it's not it's not it is always a two-way thing but the caveat is i was not always that way i i pushed back yes when i began to be challenged and checked in my early days like you know as i said i'm coaching 30 years now it was a very tough thing and I'm and I'm and I have to remind myself well I was also in that place and why was I and I was in that place why because I was coaching the way I was coached right and I had biases and all that that fed in that needed to be broken down for me to become the coach I am now and I'm sure I have biases now that I'm going to need to break down to become the coach I'm going to be in five years time
1: 100% and I think you're spot on because it was just going to lead me on to the next point which was it, it in moments where you're afraid to be check, checked or challenged, I believe it's that purely down to maybe a fear yeah. that you are not as knowledgeable and it's not as secure in your understanding as you may want to believe or think you are.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And look, we've we've postgraduates here all the time. What's, what's, what's the end of that journey Once one sense? Is the Viva Vace examination. You're going in to be challenged. And so on and so forth. What's the difference in how they approach that day? Because if, if you've done your job as a supervisor and they've done their job over the time, they're excited to go in there. Why? Because as you said, I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna have a world leading expert who's gonna challenge my work and I'm just like, but it's my work. Mm-hmm. I've just spent four years going down dark holes and dark alleys and rabbit holes. And, but I actually want to be challenged because now they've learned how to learn. And the only way you learn is actually having your learning challenged, having Mm -hmm. your understanding challenged and they're excited. So like we've had it here, you know, a week out, two days out. How's it going? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, even though they know they're going into a room with, with a giant in the domain, you know, and they're like, I can't wait. I actually can't wait for the chat and the discussion and the challenge because that's that's it's been about that. But it's because they've equipped themselves Number one, with the capacity to be able to have a purpose and a context and a rationale behind whatever they did, to do, whatever they've done. But they now don't fear the challenge because mm. they know challenge actually leads to better. And that's a big thing that I try to and sometimes fail at doing with coaches to make them realize it's all right to be asked this question, it's okay to feel. I'm under pressure here and I'm possibly being exposed. It's okay. If you can let go of that, there is some really cool stuff that lies ahead for you. A
1: hundred percent. And then it, it kind of just, you talk there about really what you're describing is about maybe the emotions or the or the phases that people go through in preparation. And it, 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 then it sparks back to one of your earlier points around those that have maybe have a tendency to score versus those who maybe have a tendency to stop the goals and it's a it's an idea again I've, i've done no research on this but it's an idea that i've been exploring and i guess observing um and trying to i guess work with with my own coaching practice and it's you need to have an understanding of those things why it's not so much what are they drawn to but why are they drawn to it and I use the example of you know, uh, and this is not even just relevant to kids; it's adults as well. If I give you, if I if I leave a set of balls on a football pitch, um, and they rock up at the start of training, whether you're adults, whether you're seniors or whatever it is, what's the first thing that happens? Everyone just starts smashing balls around. They start smashing balls around. They want to hit it in the back of the net. They want to try and do all this stuff. But, I guess, coming back to the, the the word that we used earlier, that curiosity piece, what, it sparked my curiosity. What, what, why do people do this? Um, and it then got me down a rabbit hole. And the rabbit hole was, well, people do this because they just want to score goals. But actually, no, they don't just want to score goals. There's a reason why they want to score the goals. Yeah. They want to score goals. Or they want to score the goals because of how it makes them feel. Yes. So, I, I, I believe, and again, there's, there's no I haven't done any research in this. I don't know what the, the science or, or the evidence is for this, but my theory is that we can start to get to understanding what feeling they're experiencing through these actions and we can tap into those feelings. Can we then bring those feelings up in moments of the game or moments of the sport, regardless of what sport it is, where we can try and bring that feeling out mm. and again it's just a theory we can bring the feeling out then we can get their commitment to doing it so as an example one of the easiest kind of things i i do in all my practices and i don't keep count of it because it doesn't really matter to me it's incentivizing the athlete to participate in whatever action it is that i'm looking for them to kind of develop on if you like so in this case as an example i want the, the i want the athlete to be able to just react in transition with maximal effort, right? How am I going to do it? I'll incentivize them by just giving them some points. Points equal feelings.
2: Gamify it.
1: Exactly, gamify it, um, and those points all of a sudden have now got the athlete doing things outside of outside of what their expected expectations were. But more importantly, they're doing it with real intent. Yeah. Um, to the point where doing this over over a sustained period of time, their level of output goes up, Mm. their their development goes up because of the level of outputs going up. Whether it's conscious or subconscious for them, at this point, it doesn't really matter. They're getting better, they're developing. Um, At some point, we'll have to have conversations around what they're developing, maybe what led to the development, because I think that's important for the athlete Mm -hmm. to understand as well. But
2: you've hit hit on a really interesting point there because I get asked this a lot with grassroots coaches. Ed, what about the really strong players and the middle players and the weaker players? You know, we want to keep all the weak players together so they get to play with together. We want to get And I'm Like, well, since when? Who? Like, where's your evidence for this, let's say? And and, and they're like, but how do we do it? So I said, okay, so let's gamify it. Like you said, let's incentivize it. Let's take a really strong player and tell him, okay, we're going to play this game here. And you get a point every time you have you pass to four different players. So all of a sudden now, he's not thinking of taking over the game. He's actually, his job is, I get a point for my team if I pass to four different players on, on my team. And then we can scale it up and say, well, actually, if you can actually do four, and again, because it might be a pass to a weaker player, and he's saying, well, I'm not going to pass him because we're going to cough up position. So Okay, actually, four one-twos. So you got to give it and get it back. All of a sudden, now you're bringing a weaker player in. And they, they give it right back. And he's like, great. That... And all of a sudden, he's boosted because he's just helped me to get to. And then there might be another boy in the team who's getting another little task. But they're playing together. Why? Because they're kids and they should be playing together, not based on, oh, well, the good kids together. And all of a sudden, hang on, we just separated two friends here. Just why? Because of what we want to do as adults. And yet they'll go home. They'll go out into the green space outside their front door, outside their house or wherever the local park. And they'll all play together anyway. And they're the games they will talk about for days afterwards.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you're spotting and it, 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 Again, it's bringing back to a conversation as, um, I referred to earlier last yesterday with a coach around the unopposed practice and the opposed practice piece. And I, I basically said to the, the coach that opposed practice is a must for me. Now, I look at it as you've got this thermostat, dial up and dial down, pressure on what the unopposed pra- or the, the, what the opposed practice presents so is it a 1v1 is it a 1v1 with just players shadowing so still I, I class that as opposed but just low level up opposed if you like or is it just a full on game situation and I would advocate doing that from the age of 4 as early as that now am I expecting success Well, I don't know what success looks like to them at this point but what I do know is I will check and challenge them around the context. So, as an example, there might be 10 four year olds. Some might be bigger than others, some might be smaller than others, some might be quicker, some might be larger, rounder, square, or whatever you want. And this is not just relevant to four year olds, but if I can do it at four year old, why can't I do it eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13? And I've tried this and it's worked. My key thing to do here, though, is not tell them how to achieve success in the task, but actually expose what the task actually is in this moment. Now, the outcome might be, yes, it's still point B, as in it's me versus Ed, I need to get to that line, Ed needs to get to this line, no problem. But actually, when I'm playing against Ed who might be stronger than me, I have to approach it different to when I'm playing against Mohammed who might be smaller than me, which is fine. But am I aware of these differences? And I'm, am I consciously aware of these differences? Because yeah. now, my, my belief is that if I'm consciously aware of these differences, yeah. I can now use Ed as an exa- example of, ah, this is what it looks like when someone's faster than me. Yeah. But I can use this as an example of, this is what it looks like when Mohammed's smaller than me and whoever else might be smaller than me. So these are some of the things that work against smaller. Yeah. These are some of the things that make me work against faster. These are some of the considerations against slower or whatever that looks like. And by building that, if you like, a library of understanding around the different contexts and some of the different responses and uh, subsequent required actions off, of back, off the back of that, I can then develop a skill set which allows me to be adaptable, flexible, based on what's in front of me and not just what the task is that's been set by the coach, if you like.
2: Absolutely. And it takes us right back to the start of our conversation. What's skill acquisition? It's not an end point. It's to acquire skills that are adaptable we don't know when we're going to need them or how we're going to need them but we want them to be first of all uh, curious enough to try things and then in one sense almost want to be a better word brave enough then to give it a go you know without the feeling of derision from the sideline for a failed pass and and so on and so forth i, I had a game last night with our with our under 14s and one of the 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 comments uh, we, we lost the game. And at the end, I said, I said, guys, you know, how did you think you did? And so on. I said, I said, but look, I, I'd like to make a point. I said, like, can I ask you how you felt you supported each other tonight? And they were like, not, not well. And I said, okay, why? Uh, there was a lot of bitching, a lot of moaning, a lot of, because they conceded an early goal and so on. And I was like, okay. So I said, guys, you've got to ask yourselves, if, if it's just about winning the 13 year old boys, well then, you're going to have a lot of disappointing days. But if it is, it, but, but, but even in the winning and the losing, you need to stay together, because I guarantee you, if you turn on each other like you did tonight, and I'm only this just an observation on the sidelines. So if you if I'm wrong, call me on it. And they're like, no, no, well, we didn't. And I said, okay, it was I even had a couple of questions because we've rolling subs still at this age, you know? I was like, guys who come off having maybe you know done their best come off for their 10, 12 minutes, and then would start, you know, making passing comments on the boys in the pitch. And I'm like, hang on a second, guys, you just tried your best out there. Are you telling me just because you're off here now, you're thinking they're not trying their best? And it was a really interesting, just brief chat at the end of the game, because it became actually not about the fact that we lost, but it was actually came back to, we may have contributed to the loss just as much as they may have contributed to the win. Because in our, in, in our loss, we didn't stick together. So we lost sight of actually what was important.
1: A hundred percent. And I think, again, it comes back to that word purpose. Yeah, um, And obviously this is slightly different because obviously you're talking about it from a, a, a participant perspective, but I think ultimately, a, a, when we're working together, we're gonna to get more achieved than if we're working alone. Yeah. Um, and We don't have to like where we are at in this moment if we're against one another in this moment it's just gonna it's gonna slow things down and not speed things up so that, that i think that's that's probably just the most simple way to kind of uh really mm-hmm. in, in, in some ways but you're right we did come full circle in terms of what the definition of skill acquisition is and identifying yes we might have several point b's but there's no end to this yeah <laughs> because it is and, and, and this is the beauty of it it is ongoing and i think that, for me, I reckon, is scary for a lot of people.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Scary for a lot Yes. Of they say, you know, and this is why even one of, you know, one of the bits of it. Especially
2: the- for the volunteer coaches, the grassroots, level, because yeah. everything else in their life has an output. I'm an architect. I'm a lawyer. I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. I'm a what shopkeeper, whatever. But I know at the end of every day, I've got to cash out or I've got to sign off on that project and there's an end point and it's this and that's stuff. And then they try to bring <laughs> their their adult life experiences yeah. back to childhood, which when they were owned the kids themselves, they were like, that wouldn't have worked back then. But we think, oh, I'm now more experienced in my adult life. I'm going to go back to the kids with this. And they're like, hang on. But you're coming back with your adult life experiences where there are end points and the profit and loss account has to match up and the, uh, you know.
1: 100% but also within that they're also coming back with potentially the adult language and adult perceptions yeah. which you're then not able to relate back to you know, with a 10 year old as an example which is why, you know again, coming back full circle it's picking up on the language that those, those people are using. There might be messages yeah. I've, I've shared with them a and this is probably one of the biggest um i don't want to call it a mistake but biggest maybe one of the biggest pitfalls i see coaches fall into is not checking understanding and just to ex- you know just to kind of d- explain that further checking understanding is isn't right ed I just said what i said do you understand yeah. that 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 doesn't tell you anything because yeah. we all know and this is not just kids even with adults, if I ask you do you understand, you're probably going to say yes because you know the next thing is we're going to start playing again. Yeah. And I think that, that 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 that's really key. So I think I strongly encourage coaches just to get back on track with identifying, have the participants in your sessions really taken on board the message that you wanted them to take in and just explore that. Ask them to explain it to you. Ask them, you know, even in a different way. There's another way that I like to use is right, a show of hands, who's confident enough to explain back to me exactly what, I've just, exactly what I'm looking for. Yes. And it doesn't mean they yes. have to, but they don't know whether you're going to ask them or not. So now they're going to have to be sure about whether they're going to put their hand up or not. But it's not to catch people out. It's to really understand and identify, have you been effective enough in your communication? And there's no there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. And initially, that might be met with some reservations from the, from the players or the participants. And, and that's fine too, as long as they understand that this is working towards helping them help you to help them if that yeah. makes sense. um yeah
2: and, and 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 again i know that sometimes people when you when you say that i'm just here to help out they think oh, geez who's that's a bit patronizing isn't it <laughs> who says it? and i was like actually but it's it's not in the oh you're broken help it's the in the understanding that are we not in the are we not thinking that we can both get better here
0: yeah,
1: yeah.
2: and so so I'm just going to ask some questions that have that have probed me in the past. But well, people put, immediately put up the blockers when, well, who, who's this guy? Who's this woman who's going to come in and help me? I'm not. I don't. And you're like, ugh. we're already translating things from other domains and, you know, psychotherapy and stuff. When, when we talk about help or rescue situations, helping someone's hurt. And no, I'm just here to. OK, if, if help isn't the word that you're going to relate to join in and yeah. collaborate or yeah, yeah. but it's, the, it, we get so defensive so quickly the blockers get put up straight out of the gate and all of a sudden we're we're, we're, we're now antagonizing each other as opposed to as opposed to working with each other yeah. <laughs> we're actually to use it we're now antagonizing against each other as opposed to agonizing with each other so sure. we're both trying to figure this out
1: a- 100% and uh, you know it, kind of, it, just, it just reminds me of some of the times where I've had conversation with players and I try and reframe the language, you know, it's, there's no I, it's more we. Can yeah. we get to a point where we, we, we're going we're to get close to where we want to end up? Where do we want to end up? It's always we. Um, so, you know, try to remove the I element to it. Um, and then always, in some ways, ask permission.
2: Um, so yeah, quite good much, point. i
1: just ask a question. I said, do you mind if I just ask you a question about that? Now, all of a sudden, I feel like through doing that, the barriers are broken. They're not as defensive. Oh, actually, he's asking me for permission. Yeah, go ahead, yes. Ask me that question if you want to ask me that question. I can't promise I'll have an answer for you, but you can ask me. Um, And I think, again, another piece about what you mentioned there as well is that the word that really jumped out at me, again, is being vulnerable. Being vulnerable enough to let the players know, and I've done this before, and I I can tell you for, for, you know, definitely it has helped me in my own environments. We've actually gone to put athletes. You know, um, I've, I've been, have, I've got this idea. Uh, I want to try it. I've never tried it before, and I don't know if it's going to work. I feel like it will, but how about you guys work with me on it? We try this out, and you can let me know what your thoughts are. Now, all of a sudden, it comes back to the, the, the you know, that that piece I talked about in terms of my definition of a coach. This is a time where we're going to be on the journey together, side by side. We're both in the driving seat or the passenger seat. Alongside each other, rather than me driving the coach with you in the back, Um, we're going to do this together. And I think you know, there's there is real, real gold and power in the coach being able to be vulnerable with the athletes. Um, And I think you know, just again, encourage coaches just to really remove any fears or any any any, anything around any negative uh, behavior. Really, I mean, it's easier said than done. I think at the forefront of your mind if you just keep what you said a few moments ago is that if we can help one another we can both develop it Um, and I think that that kind of reiterated and you know I am conscious of time as well so you know seeing as we have come a bit full circle in terms of what skill acquisition is some you know some fascinating insights in this conversation already I'm really really drawn to one particular thing that we mentioned right at the start and it's about making The language around this academic piece understandable for everyone involved so maybe you know just to kind of finish us off you can kind of uh, leave us with some maybe considerations um variables to Mm -hmm. consider around how to start developing a more effective and impactful environment focused around skill acquisition rather than specifically just direction if that makes sense
2: Yeah, it does. And just on that point about engaging, like, yes, I've never, I've never turned down as ever a request to come on to someone's podcast or anything. Why? Because of, as I'm going to hold up and others won't see this, because of the amount of notes I get from talking with someone I've never met before. I've a full page of, I don't know, I must have written down 40 or 50 things here from our chat today that I may not have written down only for engaging with you. You know, and that's the that's a big part of as a sum up, let's say, for what you've asked me to do. The first thing will be engage with people, talk with people. And if you find they actually are making you sit uncomfortably, talk to them more. Be be prepared to talk to those people more, as opposed to finding people who are on the same page as you with the same philosophy, the same and then just getting the same back. No talk with people who are, who you think you think oh god that that's that's challenging my philosophy can i meet you again <laughs> not oh, well he no not go near him because he's a bit of a crack bottom so let's engage more as far as how we want to encourage a better environment for people the first thing i would say is i, I i'm trying to encourage a lot of people to work to to to, to um to engage with something I, 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 I've, you might have come across this peak, PEAQ, to praise praise the people, right? Uh, praise the people they're working with. But I'm talking, let's say for grassroots coaches, praise, but only when they've done something well. Let's not get into this over, well, well done, well done, well done, great pass, great pass, great pass, well done, well done. If it's actually something that is actually worthy of praise because of that, because for one kid to actually pass the ball could be, geez, great pass, John, because they may not be able. But for a boy who's well able to pass and doing things, hold back. Let him just have that environment to to himself and whatever. The E for explore, let's set up tasks and then get out of the way for a little period of time before we have to come back in to coach. If the task is a good enough task, well, then let them experience the task without you giving them 50 million instructions to to begin with, then having blowing the whistle for it to start. And as soon as it starts, start Directing traffic, joystick coaching. No, no, move out, no, no, because, no, this isn't working to my perfect plan that I had in my head. I now want you all to execute it to where it is in my head. We need, we need to do more of the E, explore. Give them time to explore. The A, to affirm, is a big part. There's huge amounts of research on affirmation coaching. If a kid makes a run into space, it's recognized. So you give the praise, great run, Mary, into space. Excellent spatial awareness, or well done for identifying that room. That's the affirmation. You've praised the, the, the action, and then you've connected it to something maybe they're working on, a, a pass in a, a pass by someone that went over the top. Great pass, John, to have identified there was an opportunity over over the top. You've been working on that little chip ahead. Let's say you know these little affirmations to connect it to elsewhere in what they're their development. And then the biggest one, the Q, is question. Let's engage through questions first, rather than coming in straight away with, I'm going to tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, where to do it, because I'm the dad or the mom, I'm the coach, because that's what's written on the back of my fleece. No, let's go in and have, have taken the time when they're exploring to actually genuinely formulate a good question that could lead them to the next element of exploration for them. And it comes in through a question. And if they, if and if you get a question and and they give you a good answer, great. Let's go back out, guys, and let's see if we can work on that. If you get a question, if you get it, if, if you give a question, and you get an answer that says I don't know, don't feel the need to plaster over them because with the answer to say, well, I must have the answer because I'm the coach. Be like, okay, so you don't know. Well, now that we're aware of that question, go back in and see does the answer present itself to you when you go back in now. So. They're the type of things that I would love people, and that—that's not heavy-duty stuff. Even though there's heavy-duty science behind all of the peak elements, so but just, it's just not. It's—it's more—it's more accessible, I think.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Just just to recap, you had praise. Uh, what was the e again? Explore. Praise. Explore. Explore.
2: Time to explore affirmation and question.
1: Right. So I'm I'm going to attempt to. Uh, relay back to you what I've heard there and you can let me know if we're on the yep. right I can hopefully um, it'll give the listeners something to kind of think about so praise um, don't be uh, I guess so free with it um, because really again it goes round circle uh, full circle back to how well do you know Mary uh, where is Mary on her journey and is what is what she's just been able to do worthy of praise or is it just a, is it just this, is it just a norm and if it is the norm, it doesn't mean that it's, it's not well done. But then it, it, it just really kind of brings me to a conversation um, a few years ago that uh, I think Gary Neville was having on, 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 on maybe Monday Night Football. He was talking about being a commentator. We're very specific and very careful about the language that you use uh, when describing things and, and praising certain things. So, you know, I think he, he, off the top might he gave an example of whatever word it might have been. It might have been incredible or unbelievable or out of this world. Um, whatever phrase it was. And he said, if I'm saying that Leon Messi is out of this world, I have to, I have to be careful that I don't, now don't start using that same phrase with someone. <laughs> um, uh, Excellent. Just to, just, to, just to really give it some context. And I think that, that piece is really key. So, um, praise. How well do you know Mary? Is what Mary's actually doing right now deserving of praise? Not because it's been good, but because it's actually something that's not the norm. Now there's going to be plenty exactly. of things you know, depending on what level you're working at, right, what, what mm-hmm. level the player is um, ability level is. Actually, even some of the good things are no longer good in context to them. Exactly. exactly. So that's the first piece. The second piece around the explore... And, piece, and
2: sorry, just on that one, just on that, because that's you've hit on a really good point here. Because even just in our talking about praise, there we have not mentioned the stuff that we pick up on we, that we pick them up on because yeah. you were, we don't need to the yeah. first person to know that a pass has not gone to where it needs to go is the person who's passed it yeah. the second person to know is the person who was due to receive it yes. they then don't need someone to come in and tell them oh that was a bad pass no hey hey man i knew that before you did <laughs> so that's a really yeah. key thing
1: 100 and then it brings us to the explore piece so what i've understood from that is uh taking the time to exactly what it says on the tin explore so if if the past did go to plan great what allowed it to work yeah. if it didn't quite work out as you've mentioned there we both know that it hasn't worked out but can we understand why can we understand what what's changed and this is where i i i really encourage coaches to think about you know what the what if moments as an example or yeah. Um, and, and really help players develop a, a real sense of awareness of what's going on what would impact on that action being um, successful now so we've got praise, explore um, next piece is affirmation so affirm now the note that I've made right next to this word is what gets rewarded gets repeated so what gets rewarded gets repeated, and I think it's really, really important. So this links obviously into the praise piece, but I think it, it turns into a bit of a uh, a bit of a dialogue where it's right, Ed, fantastic pass there. I love the way you opened your body to receive it just before that because that allowed you to go and do X, Y, Z. Now, I could go down that path, or I could be right. Ed, I love that pass that you made there. It really it really allowed Johnny to go through there. Ed, just really quick question for you. Could you just maybe explain to me what maybe helped you to do that in the first place? Again, coming yeah. back, check in, understanding piece where it's right.
2: So that, that's a, that's a, that's an important. That's a really good question here because with the the affirmation, what what tends to happen when we see with and the research, the psychological research around what happens with praise, what happens when we connect with an affirmation, is what tends to happen, this came from other domains of education stuff but that i have trying to borrow, like we all borrow from others, but is when we, when we, when we actually go into the effort of come up, coming up with an effective praise, but also an attached yes. affirmation, yes. we are far more considerate of what we say then.
1: Oh. So what
2: actually tends to happen is we say less because we're not just in parroting, repeating, repeating, repeating. We actually are taking the time to say something that will be impactful, hopefully.
1: yes. And I think you're spot on there. And one of the, th- the things that kind of brings it back to you sometimes where maybe I've gone down the route of, right, Ed, I love the way that you received that up there. but before I affirm it, or rather I'll affirm it, but I won't give it full context because I want to know, right, how much is Ed aware of this yet? So I and
2: you made that. a key point. Yes. You made a really good point here about the connection. Yes. Affirmation is about connection. Why? Because we, we, re- the things that we think we're doing well and that we've talked about connection already in our chat but this is the connection to something that i'm already working on mary great past that work you're doing in your passing is showing up here affirmation i'm connecting what she's just done with with something she's now going to and now now she's going to be like well i want to go back and work on that even more because i'm just after getting that connection
1: of course or in even within that it's right ed i love that pass that you made there what, re- what really stood out to me was the way that you dropped your shoulder, as an example, before you played the pass. Would you mind just maybe just telling me, were you, you know, was that something that you that you actually thought about doing, or did it just happen? And if wherever that goes, we you know we can explore yeah, that yeah. more specifically. Do you think that helped? Yeah, yeah. And if so, you know, what what did you think it helped? And you know, how do you think it helped? And what, what did it allow you to kind of yeah. do as a result? Well, why did you do it? Yeah. Or oh, just drop my shoulder because you know it made it easier for me to shift out again, or whatever that might be. And to be honest, that conversation
2: and in most of those situations, they won't have an answer because yeah. these are the things that they're implicitly just perception action coupling is happening here, exactly. Lovely, we don't need to go into that, we just exactly. want to encourage them to go back exploring around that,
1: exactly. And it comes back again full circle. Can I just spark some curiosity around what you're doing? Can I just spark some curiosity? There, there is no answers here that we're looking for, there's no set examination or anything like that but can we just spot some curiosity, can we get you thinking more about your thinking and again that is that whole metacognition piece and then the the final so we've got praise, explore, affirm and then question Um, and again I've made two notes here one is it's the pre-search piece (laughs) again coming back to praise how well do I know Mary, what kind of question does Mary respond to well how does Mary take questions but more specifically and this is something that i'm really really a massive advocate on and it's just through my own observations and experiences that I've, i guess I've, i started doing this myself and it's you'll have a question that you'll ask the player and for me there's a couple phases to this the first stage is what is it that you're trying to find out and this is the questions i would encourage coaches to ask themselves before they even go down this rabbit hole what is it that you're trying to find out why do you want to find that out? How is it going to impact on you and the athlete? But more specifically, have multiple versions of that question. Now, I think that piece is so important because and, and what, just going through those stages, so the, the, the what piece, what is it that you want to find out? And what I'm really asking you there rather than is what is it that you're trying to find out? Why do you even care about that? How is that going mm. Um, the amount of times I've seen coaches, even as an example, do a debrief after a session and they just start asking questions. And the first thing I say to them, right, how is that debrief that you've just gone through going to help you next week? Yeah, What's the information in that debrief that you've gathered and collated that you're now going to utilize because it was actually dedicated to supporting you in the next interaction with these, yeah. uh, with these players? And if you can't tell me that there's any, anything specific that you've picked up from there, that's going to help you next week, then I'm sorry, but it's been a waste of time to the point where actually I believe if you're checking the understanding and the challenging the players effectively within the session, throughout the session, you probably don't even need debrief. Yeah.
2: Well, you've just hit on a really salient point. Yes. Because about a month ago, I was asked to go in to do work with um, the, um, the pro coaches in the National Governing Body, right? So it, I was, a few days, we we're going to spend two, three days together and all this kind of thing, right? And part of that process was some observation of their coaching, interaction back for them, a lot of chat and challenge, a lot. Really, a really, um, a really intense environment, but in a really good way. Everyone was in the room for all the right reasons, let's say. And as we started working through the, the, the peak um, idea, the idea of, you know, is there something just to, we can hold on to? A coach turned around, he said, after the second day, he was like, he said, I I, I like it, you know. And he's and we've pushed back, and there's a lot of push and pull, you know, around it. And the, the, even the, the kind of chat we're having about it, you know, to pick it apart, let's say. And he said, and I said, All right, it's I, I, well, that's interesting to hear why. He said, well he said, I have a real sense of if I if I if I'm engaging in this way with them I'm engaging in considered coaching. I'm considering everything I'm doing before I do it so that they're not getting any junk from me i'm not wasting any of my engagement or my interaction with these players and now again this is at the pro level so it's you know but i, I took away and i said i said it to myself like wow i think i could take that all this back to grassroots coaches too surely we should be engaging in more considered coaching even 100% with kids
1: 100 percent spot and i think again it's just linking back with so many things that we've spoken about and it's constantly happening. I think the biggest message to kind of take away from that is you don't know what you don't know. So can you stop <laughs> just become more curious? Literally just ask them <laughs> why? And, you yeah. know, I like, to, I like to go down the, the avenue of keep asking yourself why so you've got no reasons left.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Excellent.
1: It's long, but actually a lot of time in the future. Keep asking yourself why until you've got no answers left. <laughs> and if it's not why, then it's what else? Yes. So, you know, the question piece again, so we've got that there. We've got the question. Why, why are you asking the question that you're asking? How is it going to impact you? And if it's not, forget about it. But if you have a question that you've established that is going to help you and impact on future, future interaction, mm-hmm. have multiple versions of that question um because Mm -hmm. it is as simple as just the wording of your question that could that could hit the message differently for the person receiving it so just be conscious of that some of the some of the language that might have been used in this in this in this conversation that myself and Ed are having today that might not mean anything to anyone but it might mean something to some um which is why you know again i've tried to be considered in my approach in terms of the way we're having this conversation try and relay things (laughs) in different ways um, yes. So hopefully, you know we, we're we're getting across to as many people as possible in, in the conversation we are having, and I think it's really important as well to you know, as coaches, for us to share what we understand from our interactions with our athletes, you know, it, yeah. in what they've said and how they've responded. Because it, it, it's just going that extra mile to understand we are actually on the same page. And the language that you're using and the language that I'm using might be different, but we're talking about the same thing. Yes. I think that, that piece is so understated. Um, yes, I agree. But I'm sure, that you know, Ed, we can probably go on for hours and days. <laughs> on, uh, some of the stuff that we've talked about. And it, Honestly, it's been uh, a fascinating conversation for me. And I think one that I've really enjoyed um, and hopefully it has been for you as well. Um, but just kind of, you know, as we do look to round up, you know, there's some key things for the kind of uh, learners to take away there or listeners to take away on that. But more specifically, if they wanted to find a little bit more about your work, your research and and, and the things that you do, is there some way they can get in touch with you to do that?
2: Yeah, uh, look, the probably the easiest, most more, more public way is on Twitter. I, I go on Twitter for about an hour or so every Friday um, and then take it back off my phone for another week and it's lovely and quiet <laughs> but there i do i go on on friday i'll go on later on um and i'll yeah uh, so at dr skillack is where i am there um and other than that uh they can get in touch my 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 email is dr at gmail.com i've i have i don't think i've ever not interacted with somebody uh, even, even those who come on and say that uh, who have major issues with what i say why because Who's to, who might say that they're, they're not right? And um, so I love the interaction. And it's because, look, I'm, I'm relatively new to academia. I've been coaching for far longer than I'm in academia. And I'll be coaching far longer after I'm done with academia when I retire from academia. So for me, coaching is it's a network of communication and engaging with people. So, yeah, I'm happy to engage if anyone is ever an interest. And like yourself, probably. I find myself being more drawn to the challenge parts because that's where my curiosity is. I, I'm a, I'm a strong believer. Yes, that there's a better version of myself that's ahead, and I, I just want to make sure I find, I find him, and and don't and don't you know, don't leave leave any stone unturned as far as what what that man, husband, father, coach will look like. You know.
1: No, I think you're spot on, Ed.
0: Go to grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our
2: nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs
0: and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore, air to ground.